0: You may be seated. In just a few moments, I'm going to be in the book of Colossians. If you have brought your Bible this morning, that's where we will start. We're going to be in Colossians 1. Um, if you do not have a Bible, we do have Bibles underneath your seats, uh, just kind of sporadically placed. Hopefully, there's one close to you, if not um, The person next to you won't bite, well at least most of them won't, so you can ask them and they will maybe hand it to you. But Colossians 1 is where we're going to start and then if you are an overachiever, we're also going to be in the book of John chapter 20. We have some overachievers in the house this morning. One of the things that that I like to do, and I think it, it, it befits us well to do so, is I like to take things out of... Uh, out of everyday life and then bring like a spiritual idea or concept based on something that we've all experienced. And one of the things that I want to share with you this morning is about my favorite football team, right? My hope is not that you would, that you would be a Miami Dolphin fan, although we would have... There's one. Um, LAUGHTER you got to sell it. I mean, if you're going to do that, you got to sell it. You've to really sell it loudly. Um, but, uh, but that's my son, so that's awesome. When you turn 16, you're getting a bike. Um, it's going to be awesome. But I do like to take things out of, out of everyday life, the things uh, that we would maybe experience, and then bring a truth around it or speak a truth through it to help us understand. And one of the things I do want to talk about is, is an event that happened on March 13th in the year 2000. Nobody knows what happened. Did anything significant happen on that day as far as you're concerned? Yes, they were. We, we still had computers. Well, this morning uh, there's an event that, that really has kind of it changed football as far as I'm concerned. March 13th, the year 2000 the best quarterback ever to play in the NFL, and I, I am not going to debate it because I know it's true, the best quarterback ever to play in the NFL retired. Exactly. See, we have another believer in the house. This is wonderful. <laughs> I'm feeling better about this already. Um, But something happened on March 13th, the year 2000. You see, the team had been going really, really well. Things had been going well. They'd been winning and they'd been doing different things. Never won a Super Bowl under Dan Marino, but they were always thought there was hope because we have a quarterback. We have, we have something going for us. But then on March 13th, everything changed. Because the day that he retired, if you're a football fan, if you're a baseball fan, who any sport, or really, this will connect with you, as soon as he retired, we began to be in a rebuilding phase. Have you ever heard that before? We are in a rebuilding phase. We've been in a rebuilding phase for 12 years so far. Okay? You need to pray for me because this is hard when it comes to football season because I know we're not going to win. But we've been in a rebuilding phase for 12 years, and everybody knows that something's broken. But now, as as on the crux of the NFL draft, now everybody thinks, and every year since then, when the draft comes around, they think that they have the answer to the problem. When people go through and they analyze the draft, they say, well, we need this, and we need this, and we need this. But the reality is, everybody knows that the team's broken. Everybody has a different idea of how to fix it. So they've they've really kind of done a couple things in lieu of that. After his retirement, they they kind of cushioned the blow a little bit, and then they decided that they were going to name a road right outside of the stadium. I've been there. It's it's amazing. You all ought to go. It's incredible. But I've been to the stadium, and they named a road after Dan Marino. But you know what? That built, like, short-term excitement, enthusiasm, but then guess what happened? That waned and went away. But then what they did was they thought, well, you know what? The road... Yes, it's important, but we're going to do something deeper than that. Now we're going to put a statue outside of the stadium. As a matter of fact, I have a picture of this of this statue. This is awesome. Um, I have glasses on so you can't see the tears, but this was an emotional day for me. Um, standing right next to Dan, and you see it was 11-11-2007. And, and it, what's amazing is this, is this was my anniversary trip. My wife loves me, right? Um, this, there's was wonderful but they built this statue but you know what the statue still stands there today but did it have a lasting effect i already gave you the answer no their short-term solutions to fix the problem have only led to long-term frustrations their short-term solutions have only led to long-term frustrations don't we do the same thing in life don't we do the same thing when it comes to things we have in life, we have things in our life that are broken, that things that are a mess, and we're trying to put a band-aid here or a band-aid there, and we think, "Well, good night, if I can just put a band-aid on this area, then I will I will have this this false sense that this is going to be okay and this is going to heal and this is going to be taken care of." Maybe it's 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 a relationship that you have that's kind of Been fractured with you, and you think to yourself, "You know what? I'll I'll just try and I'm not going to fix the whole problem, but I'm going to go talk to this person. I'm going to try. I'm going to try a little bit to work it out, but I'm not really going to go all the way there to try and take care of it." And our our short-term solutions lead to long-term frustrations. Now, having a winning football team is pretty difficult. We've proven that. Life is so much more difficult. Life is so much more difficult. There are times, if we're honest, and if we're, and I say this a lot, but if we were just to, just to, as friends, sit around a coffee table, maybe go to Blackbird and just have a cup of coffee, um, because, like, all social events should hover around coffee, but, see, I'm not the only one. This is awesome. Man, I'll tell you what, I was feeling so insecure before I got in here this morning, and now I'm, I'm on fire. Um... But, just kidding, but, but one of the things that, that we all, I think, experience, and if we are all just to be real with one another, is there are times where we feel like we are at war with ourselves, with ourselves, and these are conversations we have with ourselves. Why in the world did you do that? Why? Has anyone ever done that before? Oh, I should not have said that. I should not have done that. I should have. I should have handled this differently. I should have done this differently. And not only that, we feel like we're at war with ourselves. But then, many times, and this this is common through every one of us, we feel like we're at war with other people. We feel like we're at war with other people, and we say we, we have these internal conversations. Oh, if I would just, if that person would just understand where I'm coming from. Maybe it's, it's your husband or wife, and like, uh, to be real with you, I mean, I realize that there, there are, are, are things that happen in your relationship that just don't seem to make sense, and then you try and work things out, and then you, it seems like you're at war with each other, and like, how do I handle this? How do I handle that? We feel, like, we feel like something's wrong many times, and yet we don't have the answer to fix it, and yet our short-term solutions only lead to long-term finish it frustrations, but then, now this is, not, this is not something that we talk about, but there are times where we go through things in life, and we feel like we're at war with God, and we feel like, you know what, I, I've, I've, done, I've done my life maybe the way that you wanted to, to be honest, we've all done it, and I've lived life the way I've wanted to, and yet it didn't work out the way that I thought it should. And we don't blame ourselves because that would be the thing to do. Instead, who do we blame? We blame God, and we say, "God, why did you do this to me?" when the reality is and the scripture teaches this in Proverbs 14:12, it'll be on your screen. Scripture says, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death." There's a way that seems right to a man. It seems like the best thing and the easiest thing for us is just to put a band-aid over a situation and just make a short-term solution for the problem, but it only leads to long-term frustration. You see, this scripture, it says there's a way that seems right to a man. It seems right to us. We can convince ourselves that the way that we're supposed to live our life is our way. Now, the Bible teaches something differently than that, which is why it says that it seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. In the end, it leads to a dead end. In the end, it leads to brokenness. In the end, it leads to us not having peace in our life. And if there's anything, anything that we have beyond the cross that Jesus Christ bore, it is peace. It is peace. What's ironic about this scripture in Proverbs 14:12. Um, The Proverbs were largely written by a gentleman by the name of Solomon. Now, if you have been in church for a while or you have studied the Bible on your own or done those types of things, you know that Solomon was a pretty wise guy, wasn't he? Not like a wise guy, like gangster, but he was, like, he was a wise guy. He was very intelligent, much wisdom. He had asked God for wisdom. God had blessed him through and through and through with wisdom. And then he had blessed him with, with money and gold and horses and a lot of other things of, of pleasure in his life. And, and yet it wasn't fulfilling for him. Those were short-term solutions. And this is something that he wrote in, in another book, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's Ecclesiastes 7.29. It says, This only have I found. God made mankind upright. He says, This is what I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. He says, there's something I understand here. There's something, okay, I get this, Solomon says. He says, I get this. That man, that God created mankind and he, and, he, and he made them well. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that he made them very well and it was very good. He was pleased with his creation. And that God had done those things. And it's, it's a wonder that, that, that God loves us so much to do the things that he's done for us because I, I know the, the ways that I've let him down and let myself down and let others down. And yet... Solomon goes through, he says, God made mankind upright. He made them very good. But men have gone in search of many schemes. Hmm. That God made us right and good. But men have gone in search of many schemes. See, men, we've been finding, we've been, those schemes that are being mentioned there are solutions to our problem. And this is a guy specifically, Solomon, who, who has... He has had it all. I mean, this guy had more money than Donald Trump. He had more gold than P. Diddy. Is that his name now, P. Diddy, or is it Sean Cole? What is it right now? All right, Well, wait a week. I'm just going to throw that one out there. He had more gold than P. Diddy. He had more intellect than Einstein. He had more influence than our president, and he had more respect than our founding fathers. This guy had it all. We can't even fathom what this guy had. And he gets to, to the end of his life and he says, you know what? There's one thing I know. God created man good. He created man very good. But then men went off chasing schemes. Schemes to try and fix where they had went wrong. In essence, they went looking for short-term solutions. You see, this is a, this is a gentleman who did have it all. He had it all. He had more than what we'll ever have. He was the richest man to, to have ever lived, more influence than anyone else. And yet, when he got to the end of his days, and, and in, we see it in his writings, and you see it also um, at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, you know what? It was all for nothing says it 's all for nothing. they were only short term solutions and yet, as he, he just goes in and now here 's the thing if you 're ever like on a really tall building and like at an overlook don 't read the book of Ecclesiastes because it 's like really dark and dim, and you 've got to get through the whole book to really to be able to appreciate it but it 's one of those things. Like you see in Ecclesiastes, that Solomon is just pouring his heart out all over the floor and he just says, you know what? I've chased women and I've chased gold and I've chased influence and I've chased this and and I've chased this and all it has done is is pacify my needs. Pacify. Just to pacify my needs. It's a short-term solution. If you have a child or you've been around a child, you know that a pacifier is not a long-term solution, is it? Is it? I'm, I, just about a month ago, my nephew was here. I got a chance to see him for the first time. Cute little guy. His name's Grayson. And, and it, I remember distinctly that my sister was... They were kind of scrambling around and they were, they were looking for a bottle. But the thing that they had, had done was, okay, he's crying. He wants to eat. So what we're going to do is we're going to put the pacifier in his mouth while we go fix the bottle, right? Who's been there before? Raising kids and you just pray that it works, right? You're like, please let it work this time. But I remember that it was, it was taking a little bit too long with that pacifier, and he was, he was calm at first, and he was calm at first, and as they're working on that bottle, and it's like a team effort, you know? And it's like, you know how it is, moms and dads, like team effort, like he, everybody, it's, you know, all hands on deck, you're trying to accomplish the mission, and, and they're trying to fix the bottle and, and quiet him down, and yet it did not... Do so well because the bottle took entirely too long and the pacifier worked for a minute and then it just erupted because a short-term solution will only lead to a long-term frustration. They won't They won't fix our deepest needs. Now, this morning, I, I don't want to be all doom and gloom. I've kind of painted a picture, but uh, I've painted half the picture, but I, I want to paint uh, the rest of it, just to make it clear. For us, I, I've kind of mentioned that we're we at war with ourselves at times. We know that we have failed at times. We know that, that even if, and you say, you know what, I, I'm a pretty good person, but you know, if we're honest, there's times where we even fail ourselves and we fail other people and we even fail God. There's another scripture, Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, There's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. He says, there, okay, you can pick the most righteous person that you want. Um, whoever that you want that to be. Somebody maybe you've looked up to in the past. Maybe somebody who stood up for social injustice uh, or, you know, in, in the world. And maybe it was the, uh, the president, if you're liking, whatever side of the aisle you're on. And the person you really have thought of has done a great job in, uh, in the presidency. Um, it is hard to believe as that possibly could be, that I think that it has happened. And it says that there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and who never sinned. So no matter how good you think you are, the reality is, and I believe the Scripture, and I believe that Scripture speaks into this and it speaks out of this many, many times, Old and New Testament. It says that no matter who you think you are, how righteous you think you are, the reality is, we've all sinned, that we're all severed away from God in one way or another. And yet, I believe this to be true, and this will be on the screen. True peace, true peace, lasting peace, comes from seeking after God, living under God's protection, and enjoying God's provision. If you're a note taker, this would be a good thing to write down. True peace comes from seeking after God, living under God's protection, and enjoying God's provision. See, this is what Solomon realized at, at, kind of at the end of his days when he had chased all these other things. He says, you know what? There's something that I've learned. When I've chased position, when I've chased power, when I've chased possessions, it only worked for a little while. It only worked for a little while. They weren't lasting. And he gets to the end of his days, and this this is just taken from the themes of that scripture. This is not his words. This would be mine, speaking out of the scriptures. But it says, true peace comes from after seeking after God. The reality is, Christ Jesus already sought you out. Did you know that this morning? He already sought you out this morning. He's already held up his end of the bargain, and he's saying, hey, hello, I want you to hold up your end. Because if you want peace, and I know we all do, he says, if you want peace, I've already done what I was supposed to do. Now I need you to do the first step into doing what you need to do. You need to seek after God. He sought you out. Seek Him out. And then, after you've done that, is to living under God's protection. Because this is, this is the, the shelter. I love reading the Psalms because it talks about... It talks about how the, how the Lord is like is a rock and He's a shelter and He's a hiding place and, and all of those things. I don't know about you, but I've been in the deep woods and I, I've been there when it's, it's storming and, and it's, it's raining and it's going crazy and you, you don't know what's going to happen. And yet if you can find a little place to go underneath a little rock overhang, it gives you peace. I think about that. I, I love the outdoors, but I think about those types of things. And I think about if we live under God's protection, no matter what goes on in the storms of life, no matter what your health condition is like, no matter what your relationship is like uh, with with the people around you, no matter if you, you struggle because you feel guilty from the mistakes that you've made, if you go out and you seek after God, And you seek after Him. And not only that, but you live under His protection. That you live under His protection. That doesn't mean that you go out your own way and you try and take care of it on your own. But you live under His protection. You get peace. That's true peace. But then also, it's enjoying God's provision. It's enjoying His provision. Knowing that He has given you the things that He's given you. I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy the things that God has given us. We should. But we should understand where they come from. And not let them drive us but yet give God glory by using what he's giving and given to us appropriately. Now, Colossians 119. You didn't think I was going to get there. Colossians 119 through 22. I love this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. There is such hope in that scripture this morning. Such hope. thing to kind of take away from uh, just the first part of this scripture is that Jesus' work on the cross rescues us from trying to redeem ourselves. His work on the cross helps us to not have to try to redeem ourselves. Because the reality is this. If I were to go through and have a conversation with each and every one of you and I said, hey, how good is good enough? Well, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? We would all have a different... Definition, Kind of like my football team, We'd all, we all understand something's wrong. We would all have a different way of explaining how to fix it. You see, this is a comfort, at least I hope that it is. We don't have to decide how good good enough is. That's already been decided on the cross. That's already been decided. Jesus' work on the cross, it rescues us from trying to redeem ourself. I've known people in, in, in my life who they try and redeem themselves. They try and they, try and they, they, they know that something is wrong and yet they, they exhaust themselves trying to be okay with God when the reality is our effort will always fail. Our efforts are a short-term solution that lead to a long-term what? Frustration every time. In Scripture, verse 19 and 20, it says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. This is in Jesus, the perfect God-man. He says, God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. And through Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making what? Peace. Through His blood shed on the cross. So it took something so drastic, as Jesus being, His body being poured out on the cross and been beaten on the cross and being scourged on the cross and doing all of those things to bear the punishment so we wouldn't have to try and redeem ourselves. So we wouldn't have to try and work back to the level and decide how good is good enough. But then the scripture continues in verse 21. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds... Because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I love that part. Free from accusation. So he doesn't look at you and he doesn't say sinner. He says saved. Saved. He doesn't say, well, you know what? Yeah, you're just in the part of a rebuilding phase and, and eventually when you get your life in order, then you can come back to me. He says, you know what? I, I, I sent my son on the cross to die for you to make it okay. His blood was shed to make it okay. You don't have to go back and try and redeem yourself because you have already been bought back, redeemed, if you will, by the blood of Jesus. That scripture, uh, something to take away from that is, is the redemption on the cross Rescues us as friends and allies. As friends and allies. Everybody say that this morning. Friends and allies. Not enemies. Look, what, look at this scripture. It says in verse 21 It says, Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds. He says, This is who you were. This is who you were, but that's not who you are. This is who you were. You were broken. But if you claim Jesus Christ this morning, if you've asked Christ to come into your life this morning, you don't sit broken this morning. You sit, you, you sit healed. You're not damaged goods. And the redemption on the cross rescues us as friends and allies. So Jesus, he looks it up upon us, even in our failings, and in our failings, and we still fail. And that's why his grace is so sufficient. I love, the, I love uh, Amazing Grace, and I love the idea of that, and that is my absolute favorite song. But that is something that just it, it gets to me every time because I know who I was before I received Christ. I knew who I was. I was broken, and I was made whole by a relationship with him. And in verse 22 it says, But now he has reconciled you. By Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. You see, Jesus had to go to the cross so you didn't try to do it yourself. You didn't try and, and redeem yourself. He went to the cross because He wants to consider you a friend and an ally. That He's inviting you into His story, and actually, we'll see this more consistent in John twenty, if uh, if you'd like to flip there. I bragged on you. I said you're overachievers. You have to. John 20, verses 1 through 9. Then we're going to read in verses 19 and 20. We're going to jump ahead there. John 20, verse 1 says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. She's, she's very confused. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Too much biscuits and gravy that morning. And reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And then I love how, how the Bible just adds these extra things in parentheses. Um, fully inspired, fully the Holy Spirit is, is inspired the people to put these things in here. And I love this. And it says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Ironically enough, the person who's writing this is the very person who experienced this. So he's writing this about himself, but he didn't want to take any of the credit. He wants to give Jesus the glory, which he, he, he does so rightly. But he says they, not, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now if you would please go to verse 19 through verse 21. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And, after, or, and, and he said this, he showed them, his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, this is, this is an interesting connection. I had mentioned uh, just a couple moments ago about the idea that, that Christ considers us friends and allies See, an ally is somebody who's on the same team. And if you're on the same team, that means you're going in the same direction. That means the same thing that, that sent, that really, it's, it's this story, the resurrection of Jesus. He says if you're a friend and ally, that means that not only are you just living for yourself, but you're living for him in your life. So Jesus sends the disciples out, and I'm, I'm going to go on the back end of this verse, and then I'm going to uh, start back in verse 19. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, if you're a friend, and ally of Christ this morning, maybe you, can, maybe you remember a certain day that you received Jesus. Maybe you remember the, the exact time it was by your bedside, maybe in a setting like this, maybe it was at a camp, maybe it was with a friend, maybe it was over a cup of coffee. However it was that you received Christ. You see, the moment that you received Christ, you received marching orders. And it's the same, the same thing that Jesus is, is implying to the disciples. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You see, each and every one of us, if we claim Christ this morning, we have been on a mission, on his mission, since the day that we received him. How are you doing with that? Whose mission are you following? Yours or his? couple little notes back up to verse 19 it says on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the jews jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you you see jesus he he can do this because this is his resurrected body the door was locked jesus didn't knock on the door and said hey it's jesus i want to come in he just said you know what I've got this really cool thing right now. It's called the resurrected body. I just did something awesome. It just changed history. And I'm just going to step right through this, this, into this room with a locked door because I want to blow these people's minds. And he comes through and and he stands among them and the first thing that he says to him, and I I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible has uh, Jesus' words in red. The first thing that he says to him is what? Peace be with you. You see, this was a a common greeting in, in that day. It was a common greeting. But when Jesus says, in verse 21, he says the same thing. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is a deeper meaning than just shalom or just peace be with you. This is a deeper meaning. He says, you know what? You can have peace now. Peace is possible because of the cross. You thought I was dead. You were confused. You don't have to try all of those short-term solutions anymore. You don't have to try and figure out life anymore. You don't have to try and exhaust yourself trying to be good enough to get back to God. Jesus says, Peace be with you. And it's his peace he leaves with us. And it's very simple, but the little catchphrase from this scripture, if you are a note taker, is the reality of the resurrection brings peace. Because it's real. We know that, that Jesus appeared to many people. I, I've just mentioned the disciples. He, 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 when he resurrected, he came back and he talked to the disciples. Mary Magdalene, a group of 500. He, he's talked to several people over in the days following his resurrection. And that just brings such peace. That brings such peace. Because... If Jesus did not resurrect, he would have just been a good man. There are a lot of false religions in this world today that were led by good men. But only one was a Savior, and his name's Jesus Christ. Only one. Only one fits that, that billet, that description. So what do we do with what we just heard? How do you take all this in? Maybe for you, maybe you you don't have a moment in time where you can go back and say, you know what? I remember such and such day where I received Jesus. Then you're left with the choice. Because true peace starts with seeking after God. It starts with seeking after God. If you want peace this morning, I'll just, I'll just let you off the hook and and you have not received Jesus, I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I know that, that you have probably been trying to decide how good is good enough. And you don't even know anymore. I just want to take a big magic eraser and, and just take all that away and just let you know you're off the hook because you don't decide how good good enough is. Jesus did. Jesus did. And there's another scripture that we've been kind of studying over the last couple weeks. And it's a scripture that I want to end with this morning. And it says this. Jesus' words in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus says, I'm, I'm, just, I'm fixing the problem. You don't have to decide how good good enough is. I've already decided. You don't have to do all those short-term solutions which have led to long-term frustrations. You are not in the course of a rebuilding process. Jesus says, you know what? If you are a child of God, you can stand under, under my provision, the shelter that I provide, the peace that I provide. I know many of us have come in this place and maybe if maybe you, you claim Christ and in life still it just seems like it's just a raging storm around you. I want you to know the same God who saved you is the same God who's gonna keep you. And it's the same God that we celebrated, it's the same king that we that we read about and we listened to the video earlier. It's it's the same God who, who gives grace. To the humble. It's the same God who gives mercy to the hurting. It's the same God who gives love to the unlovable. You see, He decided how good is good enough. And when He was on the cross, He says, you know what? It is finished. You don't have to try and do it anymore. You don't have to try and do it anymore. It's been done for you. But you need to seek after God. God. You need to seek after, seek after God. Because the scripture teaches that He died for us. So that that's His end of the bargain. But then we need to receive that gift. We need to receive that gift. You see, I know life is difficult. Much more difficult than than your life. You're probably going through things right now. I know every one of us. We're either coming out of something, we're in the middle of something, or we're getting ready to go into something. Amen to that? Isn't that the way it goes? No matter where you are in the course of the things that I just said, I want you to know the only lasting, long-term peace that you're going to have is by following God. That's it. Have you received Christ this morning? If you have not received Christ, and there's been something that I have said that, that I have said, rather, that, that is spurring something in you, and you sit back and you say, "Chad, you know what? I don't remember this time, but I, I would like to receive that gift. What I would like for you to do is I would like for you to and I know it's weird, I know it's, it's Easter Sunday, but how cool would this be? I know this, and I know it's going to make some people feel uncomfortable, but you know what? There's times where you have to. But, but here's what I want you to do. If you have not received Christ, and you know that you have not received Christ, I want you to come and see me after the service. I will be, I will be here um, if you want to come up, and we will pray, and I will show you the way. And if not, and then I will assume that, that you're either you're saved already or that you need to come back next Sunday to, uh, to hear some more. Because I understand it takes, it takes a little while for people to receive Christ. And we don't solicit Christ like, uh, use, or like vacuum salesmen, right? I'm not that good. And I'm not a big fan of vacuums either. Um, so, but this, this is an amazing day. My hope is that as you go out the rest of this day, that you would be changed by what the Lord has put in your heart. And that the same message that Jesus left with his disciples, that I would leave with you. Peace be with you. Father God, we thank you. We love you. We honor you as king. You are the majestic one. You are the holy one. You are our, our great counselor. You are savior. You are mighty. You are worthy. And you are so many other words that, that I could say, but I would inadequately describe. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the peace that we are left with in our life that's a lasting peace. We just praise you, Jesus. Amen.